Jim, Pastor Jim Riley, is uh, going to speak today, and I'm really excited to hear your message. And Jim, why don't you come on up here, if you're ready. Are you All ready? Right. Yeah, as ready, ready as I'm going to get. He's on. All right. Yes, sir. And like most pastors, I have a hard time putting my mic down, so I'm just going to do that and, and let you take over. All right. Thank you for being here today. Thanks. That might be the best introduction I've ever heard. Well, good morning. Thanks for letting us stay here at your church. Thanks for letting us be a part of your church. Thank you for being hospitable. Thank you for being generous. Thank you, Pastor Norm and Pastor Barb, for being incredible, faithful servants to the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Um, you guys have been here how many years? Next week will be 17 years that they have been here. Yes, that's fantastic. Yes. Um, and, and I will tell you this, I don't even have to know anything about Mount Hope, Hope Gaylord, but I know it hasn't been easy the whole 17 years. It's been a lot of faithfulness, a lot of work, a lot of prayer, a lot of patience, a lot of endurance. And so I just want to tell you, church, that you are blessed. You are blessed to have a pastor and his wife that are obedient to God's call. They're not swayed to and fro by the opinions of people. They're not swayed to and fro and influenced by what may be hip or cool or popular or what people in the church are clamoring for, but from my experience with them, I know that they are focused and stayed on the will and the call of God for them and for this church. So you are blessed, and I want you to know that today. And I want you to know that I believe they are truly called to pastor here, because you don't last 17 years somewhere if you're not. Because there are seasons when, as a pastor, the only reason you are still where you are is because God didn't give you permission to go somewhere else. And that's exactly how it goes sometimes. It is the call of God that sustains your pastor and his family in the seasons of hardship, but also in the seasons of great abundance and blessing and joy. And so I appreciate the call of God on their lives and on their family. So I, I love you guys very much. I met Pastor Norm probably... 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago or something at different events and things, and we got to work on a committee together and got to know each other, and so it's just been a cool thing to be able to see you when we come up here and, and be around you, so thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Um, as I said, we have Kirby Riles. He is a uh, recently retired missionary from Belgium, and before that in Russia, and so he lives in the Lansing area. He is taking care of Eaton Rapids Assembly of God this morning with the worship and the word, and we also have a part-time paid children's pastor who's been with us a month who's going to do the children's portion of the service. Pray for our church right now, please. I'm just kidding. So we're blessed to have people back there taking care of things. And, and I don't know, Pastor Norm, how you do it, but whenever I invite a guest speaker in, I give them some clear instructions. I say, listen, I want you to be good. I want you to preach well, but not too well. I want you to preach well enough that people stay engaged and people say, man, that guy was really good, but not so well that they say, man, our pastor's really not that good. Okay, so I'm going to try to follow those same orders here, and I don't know if you deal with this or not like I do, but anytime we have a guest speaker, I can tell you how long they preached by the response of our people. If they come to me and they say, Pastor, that guy was incredible, I know it was less than 20 minutes. If they say, Pastor, why can't you preach like that, I know it was under 15 minutes. And if they don't say anything, I know it was over 30 minutes. So I don't know how long you normally preach. How long is your message usually preach? 45 minutes? An hour? So I'm going to go an hour and a half. And you will be begging for Pastor Norm to come back to this pulpit. I'm doing that for you, brother. That's how much I love you and care about you. So let's read the scriptures this morning. This is the week that we celebrate as a nation independence and freedom here in the United States of America. And so we're going to have a message this morning called Jesus Frees Us. And we're going to begin in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. 
Paul says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a highlighter, you should highlight that verse in your Bible this morning. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. In fact, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit if, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, Because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for freedom. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for freedom from sin and death and condemnation. Thank you, God, for your son Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to die for me. Jesus, you said that no one takes your life, but you lay it down. You didn't have to, but you did. And I pray that not a day goes by that we don't recognize the gift that you gave us, Jesus. Life and freedom through your sacrifice. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can daily walk with you and the anointing, the power, the baptism, the fullness of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. We need you to take whatever's spoken here today and bring it to our hearts, our minds, our ears, that we would hear it, understand it, and receive it the way you want us to. So Holy Spirit, use me, use these moments we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 2 says, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. The spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at a few things today. The first thing is this, is that Jesus frees us from the law of sin and death. Through Jesus, we are free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's some definitions I put in a slide for you to see what the word condemn means. And here are three of them. The first one is this. To condemn means to express strong disapproval of. Number two says to pronounce judgment against or sentence. And number three is to judge or declare to be unfit for use or consumption usually by official order. Let me give you a picture of what I see whenever I read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and I think of the word condemnation. I think of the second definition up there first, to pronounce judgment against or sentence. The Bible tells us that when we have sinned, that there is a judgment or a sentence pronounced upon us because Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's the sentence or the judgment that has been placed upon us by virtue of God's law. Now, now let me add this to you, to this. There are laws all around us, right? You have laws of nature, don't you? Laws of nature. You have laws of physics, right? What goes up must come. 
because we have gravity, right? Newton has another law that says every force will uh, be met by an equal and opposite force or something like that. We have laws of, of nature that if you plant a seed in the ground and the ground is good and you get sunlight and you get water, that that seed will grow something, right? That's a law of nature. It's what happens when things go a certain way. We also have laws that God has given us when it comes to right and wrong, but also when it comes to principles of how things work. For example, one of my favorite laws or principles in Scripture is this, that if you sow generously, you will reap generously, but if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And it's summed up like this, you will reap what you sow. My grandfather always said it this way, what goes around comes back. There are laws, and God is a righteous, perfect law giver. And you see, our sin has brought a sentence or a judgment upon us, one that we can't take care of ourselves. See, when you break a law in the United States, you can get a ticket, and you can go to court, and you can pay that ticket, and you have satisfied the sentence or the judgment that was required to fix that law you broke, right? We can't do that with our sin. We can't just go to God and say, hey, is this a $100 fine? Is this a $500 fine? Some of you are such horrible sinners, it'd be way more than that. We can't fix it, though. Only Jesus can set us free from the law of sin, which leads to death. Let me give you another picture of condemnation, number three. You see, when you are in your sin, the devil comes along and he hangs a sign around your neck that says condemned. You ever see houses like that? You ever see a house that's so ran down and nasty, it's unlivable and it's not safe or, or worthy for anything or anyone to live in it? They, they condemn it, don't they? Well, let me tell you something. Without Jesus, you are condemned because you are not fit for anything or anyone to live and dwell inside of you. But when you have Jesus Christ, you are free from that condemnation. Now you are a place. The Bible says, in fact, Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Lord? That you are the place where the Spirit of God decides to dwell and desires to dwell. In other words, we are condemned by our sin and we have a sign that says condemned, not worthy of living in there. Nothing is alive or can survive in there. But when Jesus comes into our life, the spirit of life, he rips off that sign and says, hey, guess what? I live here now. This is where I choose to live because it's full of life and we are new creations. You see, Jesus made a way for us to pay the debt we owed for our sin, and that was death. We are free from the law of sin and death. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's a sweet rhyme. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So listen, we all sinned, we are all deserving of punishment and death, and the devil came to cause us to sin. And when we sin, we are in the flesh, and when we sin, we're living for the devil, but God sent his son Jesus to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. Amen. And he did it on the cross. He did it with an empty tomb. He did it. You no longer have to keep on sinning. The evidence that believers are in Christ is that the power of sin has been broken in their lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's good. I didn't write that. I copied that part from somebody. You can clap. Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't write it. We talk about in our church that we are no longer identified as sinners saved by grace. Because we don't want to be identified by sin any longer that we are identified as saints and sons and daughters of God. Because we're not sinners anymore, we're saints. Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and death. Secondly, he's done this. Through Jesus, we have the freedom to have abundant life. I love the, the stark contrast that Paul talks about in Romans. It, it, it's like the blackest, bleakest, most hopeless picture of sin and death and no future. 
But then he goes into the hope and life and new creation that we are in Christ. It says you can go from nothing, condemned to death, condemned to punishment, to having full life in Christ. Not just freed from that sin and death, but he came to do more than that. He came to give you life and give it abundantly. John 10, verse 7 to 15, Jesus again said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He said, I'm the door. It's another way to say that I am the way. I'm the only way. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. And he'll go in and out, and he'll find a pasture. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Some of us are real cool accepting the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and some of us really stink at accepting the full life that comes after that. Some of us still live so much in that, that shame and guilt of our past sins. We haven't fully forgiven ourselves that we're like, yeah, Jesus saved me. And that's where we get that expression, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Man, stop it. Stop it. Stop sinning. Stop being a sinner saved by grace and start being a born-again saint bought by Jesus, right? Be a saint bought by Jesus. He came to give you life and more abundantly. Why do we not receive it? Why do we not accept it? Why do we not believe it? He did it for us. We're not talking about necessarily wealth and riches and fancy cars. I mean, I'm pretty blessed with a fancy car. I have a 2007 Malibu Max LTZ with sweet rims and no grill and a mashed up hood. It's sweet. I'm blessed. That's an abundant life, man. I didn't have to pay for it. I'm blessed, right? I got a car to drive, and it works. I have a great family. This is my wife right there. You can stand up. Go ahead. That's Melissa. Yep. That's our younger daughter, Allie, right there. You can stand up. Look at her. And then back there is my oldest and favorite, I mean, my oldest daughter, Emma. You can stand up. Go ahead. That's Emma. In fact, they come up here every year for junior, senior high camp at Lost Valley because they just love the north. Yeah, they love it. Cold, hot, it doesn't matter. But I have an abundant life. Every month, our bills get paid. This month, we got to come to Big Ticket and live it up and have a good time. I eat great. That doesn't mean God won't bless you with wealth and riches because I do believe that God is looking for spirit-filled, obedient, rich people in the kingdom to use to reach the lost. So, so don't, don't ever think that, that wealth is evil or a sin, but also don't think that wealth and tons of stuff is for everybody either. Understand what an abundant life is. I have a life filled with hope. I don't care how bad things get, I never go without hope. I don't care how difficult things get, I always know that God will provide. I don't care if the whole world is against me, I know that I can go home and I have three ladies who are for me. I know that I have Jesus. That's an abundant life. Think about your life before Christ. You had nothing. And with Jesus, you have everything. Listen to this story. The, the, the islands around Indonesia are among the most beautiful in the world. A picture of abundant life here and missing out on it. They have crystalline tropical water. They have beautiful reefs with fish colored in every hue of the rainbow. Powerful waves and tranquil bays. Tourist surfers and scuba divers from around the world have discovered these hidden jewels. And people go and pay large amounts of money to enjoy this unspoiled aquatic playground. 
But many of the locals in Indonesia, they won't swim. They won't dive. They won't surf. They won't so much as wade, bathe, or do anything else that places their bodies in that warm, inviting, beautiful water. You see, their fear of the water is so powerful that even though they're surrounded by ocean and they must sail out in fishing boats for their daily sustenance, hardly any of the islanders ever learned how to swim. Why do they deny themselves the pleasure of exploring the natural wonders all around them? Because a long time ago, someone told them a lie. Someone told them that the ocean was full of demons. Told them the ocean was full of demons and that swimming in it would bring harm to themselves and their families. And even today, even today, many Indonesian islanders still believe it. You know, just as for centuries those island people have missed out on the joy of frolicking in the surf and exploring their underwater world, there's many people today who are missing out on the joy of knowing Christ fully and walking in fellowship with God. For those who don't know Christ, they, they may believe that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy who just wants to take away all your fun and make your life dull, boring, and utterly miserable. But nothing is further from the truth. In fact, 1 Peter 1.8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Guys, just like the Indonesian people on that island, they felt like it was dangerous. They felt like stepping out into that water would only do them harm. And, and the same is true, I believe, in the body of Christ with many believers. They're like, well, I, I've, I've been forgiven and I have Jesus, but I really don't de deserve anything else. And you're absolutely right, because you didn't deserve Jesus either. But that's how good God is, is he gives us what we don't deserve and what we can't earn. He gives us a full life of joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the abundant life that Christ came to give us. You see, Jesus has come to give the best life possible to give it to the full, to the max, and don't believe those who want to deprive you of that. You see, Jesus came that we could have abundance of grace, peace, love, life, and salvation. Don't miss it. Jesus frees us to enjoy it. Next is this, through Jesus you are free to be the unique person he created you to be. That's a person who knows they are unique. <laughs> Jesus has freed you to be the unique person he created you to be. You see, without Jesus, there's a lot of people in our lives that have pictures of what we are to be. There are a lot of people in our lives that want to tell us what we should and shouldn't do. There are people in our lives who say that this is your path. This is your destiny. This is what you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to do. I know as an 18, 19-year-old kid up through 22, I worked for a family business uh, in a rubber factory and learned the ins and outs of everything from the very beginning till it goes out the door of how to make and produce rubber gaskets and molded rubber products. I could probably still do it today if that's what God wanted me to do. It was a business that my grandfather and, and his two sons, my father and uncle, started. I went to work there after I flunked out of college. I wasn't serving the Lord. I didn't know Christ. Learned it. Worked hard at it. Gave it everything I had. And it was fulfilling my grandfather's dream. You know, Jimmy, this is all going to be yours someday. I'm going to step out, your dad's running it, he's the president, you're the plant manager, and then guess who's next? This is all for you. This is all yours. And man, that sounded great. I got to rent a house on a lake. I was 22 years old. I got to have a sweet 
truck. I got to have a brand new fishing boat and bass boat on that lake. Brand new. We'll pray that people can repent of jealousy. No, I'm just kidding. Let me finish the story first. You won't be jealous. <laughs> I'll never forget the time my buddy that lived with me, Lester, this has nothing to do with the message, but we didn't have an anchor on the boat yet, so we grabbed an old bowling ball in the bag and tied a rope around the handles and chucked it over. Yeah. Anyway, that's just how dumb I can be without Jesus. The plan was laid out. And then my grandma invited me to a Christmas Eve service, 1994. Two weeks before that, I got extremely intoxicated at a party. My dad was there, my friend, whatever. The next day on a Sunday morning, my dad came in my house, woke me up, said, if you ever do what you did last night again, I'm going to kill you. And he left. I laid back down on the couch. And here's what I heard. You're going to get saved at Christmas Eve service. Wow. I knew what that meant because as a kid, we went to church. And you know what I said in that moment in that cottage on the lake all by myself? I said, okay. And you know, that moment, I can't tell you what day that was. It was a couple weeks before Christmas Eve. From that moment on, I never touched another drop of alcohol. Right there, that moment. Jesus freed me at that moment, and I wasn't even saved yet. A couple weeks later, we go to Christmas Eve service. It's a one-hour carols, candles, and communion service. It was in Three Rivers, Michigan. Pastor Steve Miller, was, he's still there. He was a new pastor there. And we do the carols, we do the candles, we do the communion, and he gets to the end of the service and he prays and he says, okay, that concludes our service, good night, Merry Christmas, everybody. And we stood, and in my head, I literally said these words, huh, I didn't get saved. And the pastor said, everybody freeze because the Holy Spirit just told me somebody here needs to get saved. So I did. Six months later on June 4th, 1995, I was praying to be delivered from smoking four packs of Camel non-filtered cigarettes a day at work. And I was praying and begging God and begging God. And the same voice that said to me that day, you're going to get saved, said this. What do you love more, mere cigarettes? I said, I love you, Lord. He said, then quit smoking. I said, okay. He said, great. Now I want you to be a pastor. <laughs> That's the conversation. At my desk, in the factory, on the floor, tears fall down my face. I call Pastor Steve. I said, Pastor Steve, God just called me to ministry. I know you're looking to hire a youth pastor. I'm your guy. He said, absolutely not. It's true. I won't go into all that. That's more testimonies of how good God. I did end up being his youth pastor, by the way, for three and a half years. But here's the deal. I could be very, 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 very successful running a rubber plant, rubber factory, running a business, having all the material things that I desire. But it wouldn't be the abundant life God has for me. wouldn't be the abundant life God has for me. I wouldn't be carrying out being the unique person that God created me to be. You see, God didn't create me to run a rubber business. God created me to be a pastor and a shepherd of his people. What has God called you to be? What has God created you to be? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just to pay the penalty for your sins, not just to give you abundant life, but to give you the freedom to be the unique individual he created you to be. In Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon and then listen to this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
You see, God has a thought and a plan and a purpose for you that is higher than your ways. I didn't tell you this part, but when I went to my dad and told him I was leaving, my dad was not a believer, and he was super proud of me, and he said, son, I'm so proud of you. You're going to be the best. My grandfather said, you're an idiot. He said, this is the stupidest thing you've ever done. He said, you're going to regret it, you're never going to make it, and you'll be back here within a year. My grandfather was my hero growing up. My grandfather was a father to me growing up. I spent more time with him than anyone else. He was intimidating. He was scary. He was hard. He was tough. I'll never forget as a 20-year-old young man walking through the shop, he said something to me and I mouthed off to him and he reached back with one hand and he grabbed me by the neck and he lifted me off the ground nearly 200 pound man he lifted me up to my tiptoes and he said talking to me like that is a good way to lose your life and he put me down and he walked away he said you're an idiot you're never going to make it you'll be back here in a year I want you to know it's his wife my grandmother it's all her fault I got saved and called to ministry (laughs) but I said to him these words I said, you know, Gramps, I'm not worried about it. I said, because believe it or not, I'm going to be working for somebody that's actually bigger than you. Right? I had to be the unique person God created me to be. If you are one of the world's most successful surgeons, but God has created you, to be a janitor at a middle school where you can reach middle school kids for Christ, you're not fulfilling your purpose. But if you're a janitor at a middle school witnessing to kids about Jesus, but God's called you to be one of the world's greatest brain surgeons, you're not being the unique person he created you to be. You see, God didn't create us to have certain positions or ranks or authority, he created us to fulfill purpose. He created us to fulfill what he called us to do. His ways are higher than ours. His ways were higher than my ways. I really liked working at the rubber factory. I was good at it. It was a great living, a great job. But his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. How do we figure out what his purpose is for us? Proverbs 3, 1 to 8 says, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success. You'll find favor and good success. Isn't that a great promise? But listen to what it says right after that. You'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You see, God will still put you in positions of influence and impact and purpose if our first and foremost desire is to find success in the sight of God. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Let's look at that as we get close to wrapping up here. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not... Your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. How many of you know that you are not saved by good works? If anyone ever says that they plan to make it to heaven by being good, just ask them this question. How do you know when you've been good enough? Just ask them that question. You can't ever be good enough. But we can know that we've been saved by grace through faith because Jesus was good enough. 
We know that it's not our own doing, but the gift of God. So let me be very clear to you this morning. We are not saved by works. We are not saved by good works. We are not saved by the kind of person we are or what we do. Now listen to this in verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are free in Jesus to be the unique person he created us to be. We are his workmanship. Then look what it says. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let me be very clear. You are not saved by good works but you sure are saved for good works. And the only way to accomplish those good works is to be the unique person that God created you to be. The pioneers who settled the American West often had to travel for days at a time across miles and miles of grassy plains. While pioneers considered mountain ranges difficult and treacherous to cross, they dreaded these grassy plains even more. You see, they weren't afraid of crossing the grassy plains because of hostile Indians or prairie wolves or rattlesnakes or summer heat that caused them to be fearful, but they didn't like it because of lightning. You see, the hot grass on the plains was often so dry that lightning could ignite a small fire that could then be whipped up by the winds and spread quickly across the land engulfing everything and everyone in its path. Many died on their journeys across the plains simply because they were unable to outrun a raging prairie fire. After many tragic journeys, the pioneers developed a method of finding refuge from these fires that's still used today. Whenever they saw smoke from a lightning fire in the distance, they would go downwind from their wagons and they would set the plains on fire themselves. The wind would then push that fire and burn the grass downwind from them. Once the grass was burned, they would then move their horses and wagons across to the scorched land. And when the fire from the lightning did reach them, they were safe because there was no longer any grass there to be burned. The pioneers found safety by fighting fire with fire. In a sense, Jesus fought fire with fire. He took the sins of the world upon himself, and he endured a cruel death so that we would not have to suffer the fires of hell. Jesus knew the only way for us to avoid death was for him to die. By taking our sins to the cross, he destroyed them as far as the east is from the west. He provided us with a safe place to stand. And it brings us back to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't try to outrun the flames. You can't do it. You need to stand on the solid rock of faith in Jesus Christ. This week we celebrate Independence Day. It's a celebration of winning our freedom from an oppressive government rule. How much better is it to celebrate freedom from the oppressive rule of sin in our lives? Here's a difference. You see, independence as a nation is different than independence from sin. When we fought and won our independence as a nation, we were completely independent to do whatever we please. Independence from sin could only be fought and won by Jesus. And we are not independent any longer, but we must be completely dependent upon God. You see, with great freedom comes great responsibility. And I want to leave you with this verse out of Galatians, a couple verses out of Galatians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 13, it's not on the screen. Thank you. Paul said this, 
Sarah? He didn't say Sarah. I just said Sarah. Sarah, is that right? Is that the piano player lady's name? Rachel, is that the piano player lady's name? Is there a Sarah in the church? Are you Sarah? Do you play the piano? You do? Okay. Well, you want to play the piano for me? I Did you tell me it was Sarah? I was right. <laughs> Guys are messing with my head. Thank you, Sarah, Rachel. <laughs> Galatians 5:13. Remember this, with great freedom comes great responsibility. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. This is from the New Living Translation. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. With great freedom comes great responsibility. Instead, Paul says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You see, the freest people on the planet should be the greatest servants on the planet. You want to demonstrate true freedom in Christ because you have been blood-bought and born again and set apart for a holy purpose? Then you serve one another in love. You see, with great freedom comes great responsibility, and our responsibility is to serve. Our responsibility is to know that Jesus freed us from the law of sin and death, that Jesus freed us to have abundant life, and Jesus freed us to be the unique person that he created us to be. But in that, we should be serving, serving one another, serving our churches, serving our pastors, serving the mission and vision of the church that God has called you to, serving the city that God has called you to, serving in the workplace that God has placed you, accepting the responsibility of the freedom in Christ that you have. wouldn't be here today without Jesus. You may, think you, may, you may think you have an abundant life, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't. You might think you have freedom because you get to do whatever you want, when you want, but if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you don't have freedom. In fact, the Bible is very clear. It says you are a slave to sin. And only Jesus can free us from that. Can we stand together this morning? Pastor Norm, are you serving communion today? You're not? Okay. Just want to make sure. So here's the thing. I don't know hardly any of you. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. It's not my business. But you know where you're at with Jesus. And he knows where you're at with him. So there's going to be a couple options here. First option in a minute will be this, for you to be set free from the law of sin and death by accepting Christ as your Savior. By accepting the payment that he paid that was due for your sins. By being free. Secondly, not experiencing and you haven't accepted the abundant life you have in Christ because you still think you're a sinner saved by grace instead of a saint and a son or a daughter of God, you need to step into that and accept it. And then thirdly, if you're struggling finding out the unique person that God created you to be, you have an opportunity to respond to that. So let's all bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray. And the first thing will be this. Do you need to experience freedom from sin and death because you have not yet repented of your sins and asked Jesus to forgive you and come into your life? If that's you, just raise your hand where you're standing. 
I don't want to miss out on anybody. Just keep it up for me for a second. Whoever had their hand raised, just keep it up for me for one second so I can have someone come back and pray with you. Secondly, how many of you are saved and forgiven, but you haven't accepted the abundant life that God has for you? Raise your hand and keep it up and say, Lord, I want that. Lord, I want that today. I want that today. Lord, I want that today. How many of you struggle with your identity and purpose? Being the unique person that God has called and created you to be, raise your hand today. Can we just come and stand or kneel at this altar this morning? Whichever one you raised your hand for, would you just step out here and join me at this altar this morning? And just begin to pray. James tells us very clearly, you have not because you ask not. We don't say, Lord, I want that abundant life you died to give me. We may not receive it. Ask for it. And I'm not saying ask for things and ask for stuff. In fact, I heard someone one time say this, if God answered every single prayer you ever prayed, would your neighborhood be saved or would you just have lots of stuff? So I'm not telling you to come up here and pray for things and pray for stuff. I'm telling you to come and ask God for the abundant life Jesus died to give you. And let him figure out what that is and take care of it. If you don't know the unique purpose that God created you for, ask him today. God, what am I doing here? God, what do you want me to do? God, who do you want me to be? Speak to me. Do you know it becomes just that simple when we spend time with Jesus and we just say, Lord, speak to me? Guess what he does? He speaks. Stop wondering. Stop worrying. Stop fretting. Stop condemning yourself. Stop losing when Jesus died so you would be winning. Just stop it. Let go. You think you're so smart and you can do so much better. We can't. His ways are higher than our ways. His plans are higher than our plans. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Jesus frees us, church. You don't free yourself. You just walk in and enjoy and live out the freedom he gave you. Jesus, again, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your presence, your life, your purpose, your death, your resurrection. Thank you that you're a good shepherd. You love us. You came to give us abundant life. The good shepherd leads, feeds, and protects his flock, and you lead, feed, and protect us. You're everything. Thank you. God, I pray for those who raise their hand to confess their sins and repent and receive you, that today begins a new life in Christ, that just like I can say where I was on December 24th, 1994, when I repented and received Christ, that they can do the same thing today, that June 30th, 2019, my life was changed. There was freedom in my life. God, for those who are just still walking around like sinners saved by grace, that they would start walking around like saints and sons and daughters of God. The abundant life you have for them. And God, for those that haven't found the unique purpose or person that you've created them to be, that you would begin to tell them. Lord, even if it's radical, even if it requires sacrifice, even if it requires a huge change, that they would be willing to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll do it, Lord. 
Whatever you say, Lord, yes. Lord, if you want me to leave that career and go after this for you, the answer is yes. Lord, if you want me to do what Jesus told that rich young ruler, to keep following your commandments but sell everything I have and give it to the poor and follow you, then our answer would be yes. Because in that, we will find abundant life and purpose. So God, help us. Help us. Help us. Lord, we love you. Love you so much. Thank you so much. I pray that we are men and women and young people of God who walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, and who walk in freedom because we know that Jesus frees us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you what I tell our church every Sunday. I love you, church. I love you. I love you. I love you. I won't tell you what else I tell them because I tell them I'm so thankful that God let me be their pastor. I'm so thankful that God let Pastor Norman Barr be your pastor. Thank you guys for letting me be here today. Jesus is my first hero, and Jim's my new hero. Good job, man. I mean, I'm down there, and I'm just like, you lied. You said you were going to be. They aren't going to want me back next week. Thanks a lot. Eaton Rapids, what's your address? Two and a half hour drive, no, two hours and 40 minutes. If, if you want to go to his church next Sunday. No, hey, I appreciate it. It was a, an honor, a privilege to have you fill the pulpit today, and, and I truly felt the anointing on you, so thank you. Eat Rapids, you guys are blessed. <laughs> Melissa, thank you. You just have a sweet spirit, and, and it's awesome. I can see why he's such a good man. Well, this week is uh, Independence Day, so get out there, have fun, but not too much fun. Don't get hurt. Try to be safe. and Tell somebody about the Lord. Tell somebody your testimony, because God uses us for that. Can I, can I, do you mind just two minutes? This last week, we had the privilege of saying goodbye to our neighbors. They'd lived there for 10 years. They were in their 80s. And I always felt like, oh, Lord, I just, and I tried to minister in acts of kindness and hoping that someday we'd have that opportunity. And finally, as they're going out the door just about, the day before they left, God gave me, he said, go up there, help them, and I want you to tell the man about Jesus. And we walked in, my wife and I, and we got to share what he did for us. Was it easy? I was a little nervous. But man, he, he moved there. And, and I just thank God for the privilege of being able to be used in his hands like that. So just listen, because he told me, I want you to go and tell him about me. And the man was open to it. Father, we thank you again for everything you're doing here. Keep us safe in our coming and our going. And Lord, keep our friends from eating rapids safe as they travel home today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. To you be the glory. Amen.